in the giver's mind, there's always this openness and in some sense, a positive expectation toward growth, that growth will happen. As we continually help each other and serve each other and engage challenges, the growth will come. Hey, this is Sharif here with another episode of The Golden Hour, joined by Dr. Kevin Majors. Kevin, good to be here with you again. Sharif, great to be back. Well, Kevin, I know uh, one theme that you've been exploring, reading about, is this idea of givers and takers um, and generosity and how that works out. Because obviously, an ideal that we encourage people to strive after, maybe even the greatest ideal, is generosity. But sometimes people can have the worry that if they're always giving, you know, they're not really going to be attentive to their own, say, self-care, mental health, and that will then prevent them from being able to give. So, so that you need to have some sense of, um, I don't, maybe this isn't the best way to put it. You kind of have to be a little bit selfish to be generous or selfish to be selfless. So, uh, so I wanted to explore this topic with you. Yeah, Shreve, it's, it's an important topic. And I think a number of people reached out to us after we did the podcast episode on narcissism uh, and were wondering, like, what do you do if you're surrounded by takers or if you're in a relationship with a taker? And then the more generous you are, in a way, the more burnt out you get. So how do you have, what, how do you know what it is, like set the limits? So I thought this is, yeah, it's an interesting uh, uh, question. And I think that probably one of the best writers on this topic is Adam Grant. So he's a Wharton Business School professor uh, and social psychologist, uh, organizational psychology is what he does. And he has a book that's almost 10 years old called Give and Take, where he does the best job going through these questions of how do you, like, is it good to be a giver? And how do you become one? So I thought this would be great for us to dive into. Yeah. So, well, maybe it's helpful. I think the terms are pretty self-explanatory, but uh, what is it, how does he define givers and takers or how would you define it? Well, interestingly, he talks about the values or idea you know, that drive these two types of behavior. And takers are people who, in general, are just serving their own interests and are motivated by desire for wealth or power or pleasure or winning. So, And that last one, winning, is important because in some ways these are competitive people and they see everything as if it's a zero-sum game. And so there's, there's you know, winners and losers. And so they're determined to be winners. And so they take for themselves. And in the whole world of social psychology, that, that kind of competitive orientation um, is really well-studied. And Grant really does like say that this is the same as takers. So it's the same mentality as being a taker. Givers, on the other hand, tend to be motivated by what in optimal work we would talk about as ideals, that they're interested in service and they want to be reliable for others and they want to be generous with others. So they have these, they're compassionate. So they, they do, they are oriented really towards the good of others. Uh, the question is, are they also oriented toward their own good? 
And that is ends up being a big deal. Mm. So, uh, so, so you do you, do you accept this framework? Because I think the first thing that's important is to just start with the category. Like, are these the right categories? To even be approaching this question with because that it assumes a lot. I mean, so if one possible objection: I, Can you just categorize someone as, hey, this person just is a taker? Just that's who they are. So one one issue is the problem of maybe giving people a, a label or a fixed label. But even if you just say, well, they're a, they happen to be a taker right now, is is it are people takers in certain areas of life or are they just kind of takers overall you may maybe you say this person's a taker at work but in family life they're more of a giver either does that happen so yeah in the literature they talk about reciprocity styles and there in fact are three givers and takers are in some sense the the two ends of the spectrum and in between you have matchers and so matchers are more interested in justice and fairness and so they're willing to give but then they're expecting you to give back. Givers, on the other hand, aren't looking towards their own um, getting back from you. They are interested in giving to you and they're interested in helping you give because that's good for you too. And then takers are more interested only in their own kind of self-interest and doesn't extend to other people at all. And so in an organization, you tend to have these three types of people givers, takers, and then in between, matchers. Um, uh, a friend of mine who's uh, in political theory at Harvard University had, uh, when we were talking about this once, he said, that's exactly what Plato says in the Republic, that you have the, the, in the city these three kinds of souls. And the, uh, on, like, on the one end, you have the philosophers, which are the givers, who are really unselfishly concerned about the good of the city, like the common good. They're looking out for that. And then you have the, you know, the next level down, so to speak. Um, the matchers would be the spirited element, the military, whose their concern is enforcing justice and protecting the givers, the philosophers. And then you have, the, you know, in some sense below that, the rabble, who are motivated by passions and their takers. And so it, Plato says that every soul has these three elements and every city has these three elements. Uh, and so in an organization, uh, one of the things Adam Grant mentions, and Plato does too, is the importance of having the um, matchers between the givers and the takers. And he says that in an organization, what basically a taker will just take, take, take. And if he's surrounded by givers, then he'll just take, take, take. But when a matcher comes along and they see someone not reciprocating and just taking, they make it their mission to undo that person's success. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> so that they're like the avenging angels in an organization to make sure that people are being fair. And so you need yeah. them. But it's interesting that all of this is just reproducing the Republic of Plato. Right. That is funny. So now uh, I, something I hear from people a lot is, well, if you really want to get ahead, you know, you have to be generous or make friends. So they almost have this, I don't know if this is the right term, enlightened self-interest, but that they're giving, but with the ultimate purpose of taking in a way. It's like, I'm going to be generous and make friends and do this thing for other people because that's the best way. Then they're going to do that back for me. And then and then that's how I'll actually get ahead. Mm, yeah. So that'd be like kind of long-term matching. 
so that you know that the person is giving, but they are expecting something eventually in return. You know, and if they don't get it, they'll be angry. Yeah, and so that might, um, and this is where I don't think we want to get too into diagnosing ourselves or others. You know, as as like, are we a, a giver through and through? Are we a matcher through and through? Um, the maybe the more important thing is what when do we notice that we are giving, and when do we slide into matching or taking? I think if we can be aware of that, uh, we can see what beliefs do we have about giving. Like when we talk, when people hear sometimes us talk about generosity and optimal work, you know, some people immediately feel that they are vulnerable then. That if they try being generous, people will immediately take advantage of them. And it could be in certain circumstances that, that there's, there's, there's truth to that. This gets to this thing between, you know, that... Being a giver doesn't mean being gullible. And it doesn't mean failing to take care of your own interests. Uh, and in Give and Take, Adam Grant goes through um, interesting examples of, on the one hand, um, medical students in Belgium. This is where the study was done. And in another case, it was uh, engineers in California. And they looked at basically the success ladder and asked, where are the like you know are the people at the top of the ladder the people at the bottom of the ladder what is their reciprocity style and what they found is at the bottom of the success ladder in and this is true in every case it's been studied are actually givers so you have givers doing the worst and then you have above them matchers and takers that make up the middle and at the very top of the success ladder you also have givers so that's interesting, right? That that this has been reproduced now a number of times. That when you when you actually there are, there are tests, you can go to Adam Grant's uh, give and take website and do the test yourself for free to see what's your style. Uh, and that's the kind of test that they give people. And so they they measure the reciprocity style and the bottom percentiles of performers are in terms of success, which means in the case of the engineers, how much they got paid and the medical students, their GPA, uh, the bottom were actually givers. And the idea there is as they look more into it, these were givers who were not, they, were, they, were, they would prioritize the needs of others over their own needs. That's different than what happens, I think, at the very top when you have the successful givers who in some sense can co-prioritize their needs with other needs so that they take care of themselves and they're also able to take care of others. You know, an example of this would be, you know, when they're studying, they study with the goal of mastering the material so well so that they can teach it effectively to others. Well, that becomes then a huge drive and engine for them in their studies. Uh, and in my work with students, I found that often can be a transformational thought experiment. If you were to teach you know, this material, like the problem set, to the other people in your class, then how would you approach it? And they become instantly more creative, I think, in, in starting to strategize how they would really get to master these problems so that they could teach it to others. But that's a good example where they are not neglecting their own mastery. 
but they're actually utilizing their own mastery and making it better and better so that they can better serve others. That's the style that you see in the most successful givers versus people who just simply sacrifice their own studying so that they can help friends study, you know, and, and it's not actually helping them out. So I know some, some people may not like this idea, but this is like you're talking about the very beginning, kind of the, there is among the most successful givers, there's still plenty of self-care going on. I think it has to do also this idea. And I was looking for the quote uh, and I, I couldn't find it, but I remember, you know, reading this 30 years ago uh, that if you can't be prudent for yourself, how can you be prudent for others? And that has stayed with me my whole life, my whole adult life, basically. You know, of, like you need to be very prudent for yourself, and and that means like that you are thriving yourself and make sure you're thriving in order to be prudent for others to help others. So, and I think that's what happens with the successful givers. You know, they're in a sense generous with themselves and others, rather than putting these two in opposition. So, how how would uh? A, a giver at the at the bottom approach that question of giving. I mean, they're giving their time or their attention to other people's problems, but maybe they also find that they're not actually effective at solving them because they don't have the the mastery over the problem, or they don't have even the energy because they're burnt out to solve it. So, is is that kind of what's happening at the bottom? Yeah, I think that. Yeah, this idea that somehow you have to be living in an unsustainable way over a long period, you know, I think that's what they're trying to do. They're not questioning how sustainable their current practice is. But yet that's they they need it's I think it's a real imprudence for people to give beyond what's sustainable in an ongoing way. There may be times, I mean, parents with young children experience this, you know, there may be times when to take care of a sick child who's up all night, you are doing something that's not sustainable. But if that's happening regularly, you need to some, you need to make it livable. And we can't allow ourselves to, uh, to somehow, uh, you know, it's like, you know, you, you, you can't be, um, leveraging you know the your deeper self-interest that if you're not caring for yourself then uh, you're not going to be able to give your best to others so there is a right way of of making sacrifices you know but it has to be prudent you know it has to be measured so if if you can tell that you're getting depleted because you simply don't have time for sleep or for food you know, uh, for, for, you know, some, for some kind of rest and that happens in an ongoing way and it's not sustainable, well then it's no longer being generous to give it. So my, uh, my initial reaction to that was, well, I don't like that, Kevin. Uh, no, because, uh, well, cause how does that fit with the idea of challenge and you challenge yourself and you exceed yourself and then you grow? Uh, so I guess what you're saying is that takes place within like a reasonable, within reasonable limits. Yeah, exactly. Challenge is not, uh, you know, the, the fortitude it takes to meet a challenge, uh, for it to be a true ideal 
has to be guided by justice and prudence. And so if something is imprudent, you know, and you can tell that this, is, and that's, I think, what partly when we're now nowadays talking about, is it sustainable? Really, we're talking about prudence. And if something there is imprudent because you're actually threatening, you know, your yourself by, by doing this, then you'd need to come up with some possible other strategies. Okay. Uh, okay. So maybe now, Kevin, we could go a little bit into the relationship between givers and takers, um, as we've called them. So, I mean, one source of burnout for people, and this is also a question we get is, um, how do we set appropriate boundaries? How do we know if we're giving too much? Um, so I wonder if you could just speak to that, that, um, yeah, just this question of how do you deal with, if you notice that maybe some of the people around you are takers, I don't know. I find it kind of odd to say that, to, to label people as takers, but, uh, if, if that's, you know, the reality that other people are not, not being yours, how do you respond in that situation? Yeah, I think the first thing is that it it's not in other people's best interest to keep taking. Other people to thrive on the challenges in their own life, to be able to grow in the face of those challenges, actually have to become givers. And so we do no one a favor. It'd be like with, you know, all children are takers. And yet you have to raise them gradually to give. So in some sense, the whole purpose of parenting is to, to turn takers into givers. You know, and that's, I think, the measure of how successful parenting was. You know, that, that, that they go now to being, and children have a natural tendency towards justice and fairness. So that they, you know, I don't think they're necessarily born takers. They're probably a little bit, <clears throat> with each other at least, they're born matchers. You know, so, you know, babies at the age of like four months are interested in fairness. <laughs> so it's, there's, you know, cute studies that are done. Uh, but if, uh, you know, with, with regard to their parents, you know, children often are just takers. And of course, it's no good for a parent just to be thinking, oh, my kid's such a taker, you know, and to expect some kind of reciprocity. No, the role of the parent is to give and give and give and then to make the children give you know, to make them into givers, I should say. So they are freely and voluntarily enjoying giving. So if like for a parent, one of the greatest experiences that they can give their children is what economists call the warm glow of giving. So that they experience like what it means to give generously in some case. So I think it's really important that, that people get that experience and it's never too early or it's never too late to get that experience of what it's like to actually be very generous in giving to someone. So, you know, so, so that said, when it comes to dealing with other people, uh, and this also, there's a lot of research on this point, um, in general, as long as you, like you just basically want to be giving and cooperative with everyone, as long as they're giving and cooperative with you, and you get a sense that we're all cooperating here together, we're all contributing without counting or tallying, then Wonderful. You keep it going. But if you can tell that people are starting to, you know, be tallying and to be counting, and then now they're uh, starting to be more taking and it's not being reciprocated, then you move from being cooperative like that to a more, a more matching stance. Like, okay, you don't just keep giving to them. 
You know, so instead you, you wait and give them the opportunity to give. Ideally, they then start giving again, you know, because, because of what they saw it was expected. I think that's the normal way it works. Um, in the literature, they talk about this as a tit for tat strategy that you stay cooperative, stay cooperative. And then the moment the other person becomes competitive, then you, you actually are competitive too. Um, and game theorists talk about this. Um, and the idea of this is also that you have to be a little bit generous and forgiving because people can make mistakes. People can occasionally take too much and you don't want to characterize that and say, oh, yeah, it's just the way they are. But if it keeps happening, then you need to be on your guard you know, and to think about, okay, am I giving them enough chances to give back to me or the organization? Mm -hmm. And then are you, are you keeping in mind at the same time that the goal is not that you want more from them? Because uh, that would just make you a taker, right? The goal is that, A, you want it to be sustainable so that you can give more to other people. Um, you can contribute more to the common good. And B, you want to help this person become a giver because that's actually the best thing for them. I think that's right. And you want there to be uh, the continual warm glow of giving throughout your organization, be it your, you know, your family or your company or whatever it may be. So that there's a sense here that that everyone here is cooperative and helps each other. Um, that is undoubtedly the most, um, like the situation socially that is most conducive to thriving, that this mutual self-giving. And that's what creates and sustains the best bonds among people. So I think to really build bonds with others, you have to be intending their good, not not specifically your own in that moment, but in that, you know, when you're with them, you're intending their good and you're intending the bond to be strong. And you're forgetting about yourself and your own interests and then being generous in giving of yourself to them. So and that's clearly how we develop bonds. And if everyone is doing that, then you have a very stable culture conducive of growth. And I think that's doable. What you have to watch out for are people who then are just getting the benefits of that kind of that kind of uh, culture and not giving themselves. And then, and then you have to basically start to see to give them like more specific ways of giving, make it a little more concrete what your expectations are and how how things are done here. So I think it can be people are shaped. I think givers tend to have a growth mindset. They see themselves as always capable of growing. They see others as capable of growing and they see their bond with the others as capable of growing. So there is, in the giver's mind, there's always this openness and in some sense, a positive expectation to growth, that growth will happen. As we continually help each other and serve each other and engage challenges, the growth will come. Takers tend to exist more in a fixed mindset. And they're protective of their own interests. They're protective of, as if there's not that much to go around. It's not a growing pie. It's a fixed pie. And so they better get their share. You know, it's just a very different, the takers uh, have a very different mindset towards themselves and their own energy and what kind of growth is possible. They don't think of growth. One, uh, as I was reading a little bit of the Adam Grant book, one insight that I found very helpful was that givers tend not to ask for things 
or that might be one of their struggles. And that might be one reason why some givers end up kind of at the bottom of the success ladder um, because they're not asking for things. And that in part leads to the unsustainability of their efforts because they're not getting help from anyone. Um, so I wonder if you could comment on the need of, you know, to, to really have a healthy relationship with the other pe- with the people you're with that, Givers need to also develop this sense of asking for things for pe- from people, asking for help um, to, to make their own efforts sustainable and also to help other people become givers. Yeah, and that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful point is that givers um, who are at the bottom of the success ladder in, in the, the ways the studies defined it are as a rule, having a hard time asking anyone for help. It's almost like they, they just feel they, they're, they have, you know, it's like they have no interest in themselves and they see themselves as not worthy of any interest. And it's a subtle kind of kind of focus on self that shows up there that they just don't think that they're like, it's right for themselves to like, to make impositions on anyone else. That's totally different than what happens at the, you know, the givers who are at the top, who see that they need to give others the opportunity to grow in the same ways that they grow. And that by just doing things for other people, they're not giving them that opportunity. I think that the, you know, it's a, it's a question of, do you just, um, you know, when you see someone hasn't done something, you know, it's like a, you know, say a chore around the home do you just do it for them? Well, that's kind of the way givers at the bottom do things. They just do things for everyone else. And so the others don't really ever need to, and they end up just being takers. But unfortunately, the givers at the bottom tend to create takers around them, I think. And they do it because they always let people off the hook for, for not doing things. Whereas the givers at the top are actually more interested in the formation of the others, the helping them. And thinking like, what what would it take you know, to help him really prioritize doing this chore or doing it well? What would it look like for him to take pride in doing it? How could I help him to have this, you know, this sense of, you know, that there's like a self-respect in doing this thing very well to, to teach him. There's, so I think that's the way that the, the most successful givers operate. They're thinking of what's the maximum growth this challenge is giving to all of us. Versus taking the easy path of just getting it done and like getting it so that way you just do it for them and that way it's easier and there's no confrontations. But unfortunately, then there's also no real opportunity for growth. Yeah. Great. Well, hey, Kevin, I think that's a a great note to end on. We're basically out of time here. All right, Shreve. Well, thank you so much for the questions. Yeah, great. Well, maybe we can continue some elements of this discussion next in future episodes. I think there's a, there's a lot left to discuss on the topic. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. All right, we'll be back next week. Well, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to check out OptumWork.com for a set of online tools to help you engage challenge in your life. See you next week.